Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. We come this morning to the final pericope of the ninth chapter of Luke's Gospel. I invite your attention there. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62 is our passage today. The title is Valuing Christ Supremely. Now, let's read our text. Luke 9, 57. As they were going along the road, you remember Jesus had set his face towards Jerusalem. Coming to the end of his earthly ministry, he had said, I'm going to Jerusalem and there I will be taken into the hands of men. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Now we plan, as I said, to observe the ordinance of the Lord's Supper today, and I think this is an appropriate text for the occasion. The title of the message, Valuing Christ Supremely. That is, I believe, an appropriate summary of what it means to be a Christian. A follower of Christ means that you value him supremely. That is, you are willing to part with anything and everything that would hinder you from following Christ wherever He leads. So in this text that I've just read, we read about three would-be followers of Christ and the things that they valued more than Jesus. And those are our three points today. One is to follow Christ, to value Him supremely, means you love Him more than things. More than things. Look at verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now that seems like a sincere attraction to the Lord Jesus. No doubt this person had seen Jesus teach and heard with his own ears the wonderful and authoritative teachings that he taught. No doubt they had seen him perform miracles. They did not doubt the veracity of those miracles. And yet this person had failed apparently to count the cost of following Christ. And Christ, of course, has a wonderful advantage over all of us when it comes to personal evangelism and that He's omniscient. He knows everything a person is, what they've thought, what they've said, what they've done, what they will do. He even knows the motives behind their actions and He knows particularly the priorities of their heart. And Jesus saw into this man's heart and saw that he had a fondness and an affection for material things. So that's what he addresses to the person who said, I'll follow you wherever you go. He says, uh, the foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but I don't have anywhere to lay my head. Now the foxes and birds were uh, everywhere in the ancient world and everyone who had any observational skills knew that the foxes just built a little den somewhere and they would emerge in the morning and in the evening. And and the birds, of course, nested wherever they could build a nest. These were the most common things in the world. My uh, little girl, Aubrey, about six months ago, started feeding a stray cat in our neighborhood. 
And uh, just this week we found out we've been blessed with yet another litter of kittens. And we found that out when the little fur balls began to emerge from the shrubbery in our backyard where she had built a home for them. And I thought of this text, that even the kittens have a place to lay their head, but not the Lord Jesus. See, Jesus was an itinerant speaker. He had no permanent home. He had few of this world's comforts. Obviously, that truth of following Jesus where there were no earthly comforts was going to be a hindrance to this man's potential discipleship. And it reminds us of another man in the New Testament who we call the rich young ruler, who had all the theological training that he needed and had all of his uh, T's crossed and his I's dotted theologically. And Jesus says, go and sell all you have and give to the poor and come follow me. The scripture says he went away sad because he had much. He, like this man, loved things. He loved comfort. He loved this world more than he loved the Lord Jesus, and so he could not be a follower of Christ. Then there's a second person. Look at verse 59. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Now, let me bury my father. That seems like a legitimate request. Any of you who have employees and their father would die, you would certainly give them time off to grieve and to bury their parent. Jesus is not being harsh here. There's, there's something else going on. You see, let me bury my father was a common expression in the ancient world for I'm not ready yet. And it certainly had to do with money. You see, in those days, much more than even today, wealth was kept in family units and passed along through the process of inheritance. And so you waited until your father died and then you had financial independence, but usually not before. And so likely what's at play here is this man had heard the conversation with the first man. Jesus told the first man, if you follow me, you're not going to have any earthly comforts. And so the second guy said, well, I can pay for my own comforts. So if you'll wait till my father dies and I get the family inheritance, I can write my own ticket, Jesus, and I can have my cake and eat it too. I can follow you and, and have the earthly comforts. And this man, of course, missed the entire point of what Jesus was saying. This man's father, you understand, was not dead. He had likely, as I said, heard the first man. And, and so he's saying, I'm willing to follow you, Jesus, but on my terms. This would-be follower of Jesus valued money more than the Messiah. It reminds us of the story of the prodigal son, doesn't it? Who couldn't wait for his father to die for his financial independence. So he went to his father and demanded him that he have his inheritance now before his father died. Can you imagine one of your children coming to you and demanding their inheritance before you die? It was not only insulting, it was a, a great travesty of justice. And of course in that story, this young man wasted his inheritance his father was gracious and went ahead and gave it to him. He went off into far land and wasted it, the scripture says, on wanton living. Ended up slopping the hogs, eating what they ate. And he came to himself, the scripture says, and realized that even the servants in his father's house had bread to eat. He humbled himself and he says, I'll go and submit myself as a servant to my father. The father saw him coming up the road, ran to him, embraced him called for the fatted calf to be killed. He put a robe upon his back and a ring upon his hand. 
and declare this son who was lost is now found. Beautiful picture of the gospel. But here's a different response from Jesus. This man says, let me bury my father. Jesus didn't say, yeah, that's a good idea. He said, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Now, doesn't that seem harsh to us? Let the dead bury their dead. What does he mean? He's saying, let those who are spiritually dead, those who aren't followers of B, prioritize money and inheritance. But you who claim to be a follower of mine must value your relationship to me and my kingdom, even over your inheritance. The world is pursuing those things. Let them have it, not you. You've separated yourself from the world. You value me and my kingdom and go everywhere and proclaim the kingdom. Now, there is a third would-be follower of Christ. Remember the first one valued comfort, things more than Jesus. The second man valued money, security more than Jesus. Here's the third one, verse 61. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord. Note they're even using the correct terminology. They're calling him Lord, saying, I'll follow you. But first, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. You see, to follow Jesus, to value him supremely, you have to love him more than things, more than money, and believe it or not, more than people. And again, on the surface, this seems like a reasonable request. He says, I'm willing to follow you, Jesus. Just let me go home and say goodbye to my friends and family, the folks at home. This man seems to be free from the love of comfort, uh, the love of money. He's willing to forego his inheritance to follow Christ. But there was something Jesus knew that he valued more than Christ. That was people, his relationships family and friends, those at home. Now, we don't even know where his home was. It might have been many miles away. But, but here's what Jesus knew, because he knew everything. If this man went home, he wouldn't come back. They would persuade him to stay. They had a hold upon his life. Jesus compared him to a farmer who started plowing and kept looking back. Verse 62, Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And do you know why a farmer, who's, he's a good farmer, can't look back while he's plowing because he won't plow a straight furrow, will he? I found out the hard way this spring. After many years being off the farm, I decided to plant a big garden. And I have a tractor and I bought a middle buster attachment for the back of it. And I started on my property and it was coming back to me how to plow a straight furrow. But I began to worry if I had put the attachment on properly. And I began to look back and then kind of look forward and look back. And you know what? It was a disaster. <laughs> I said to my wife, I hope the farmer I used to work for doesn't show up. He'd laugh me out of the town. That row looked like this. So I started over and this time, I put the plow in the ground and I looked at the end of the row and I kept my eye on it till I got to it. This is what he's talking about. Those who would follow Jesus can't afford to be distracted by their old life. Paul says, forgetting those things that lie behind, I press on. We look forward if we're going to make progress in sanctification. And this is uh, what the Lord is reminding us of here. 
And again, it reminds us of an Old Testament character, doesn't it? Lot's wife. Remember that uh, Lot had moved his family into the wicked city of uh, cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He had left his uncle Abraham and his flocks behind him and become a city dweller. And um, the angel of the Lord came to Abraham and said that the sins of those cities has come up to me and I'm, I'm going to destroy them. And Abraham, a godly man, interceded on behalf of Lot and his family and the Lord agreed to spare them. And so the angels, remember, went into town and they got to Lot and told him to gather his family together that they were going to leave the next morning, but they were not to look behind them, right? But his wife did. She was uh, enamored by the relationships that she left behind. And you remember that she turned to a pillar of salt. She became unuseful to the Lord at that point. And dear friends, I've seen many Christians or proclaiming Christians do the same thing. They make a profession of faith. They began to walk that uh, narrow road. They began to make progress in sanctification seemingly, and yet they become enamored by their old life. And they start looking behind them, and before you know it, they are not useful anymore to the Lord's kingdom. If we're to value Christ supremely, it's not just that we have to love Him more than material things, we do. It's not just that we have to love Him more than money and security, we must. We have to love Him even more than the people in our lives. Now again, you may say that sounds sort of harsh. Well, if you think that sounds harsh, you haven't heard anything yet. So I'm asking you now to turn over a few pages in your Bible to the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 14, verse 25, Jesus is approaching the end of His life, the end of His public ministry. And uh, again, He is just followed constantly with these throngs of people. His popularity is at its height. And when things seem to be going well, statistically, popularity is at its height. The tendency is, is if it's not broke, don't fix it. Just keep doing what you're doing, doing the miracles and teaching the lessons and feeding the masses and you'll continue to grow numerically. But that's not what Jesus did. He does something very surprising. Luke 14, 25, Now large crowds were going along with Him, and He turned and said to them, If anyone comes to Me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be My disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after Me cannot be My disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it began to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish it. This, friends, is the essence of what we're talking about today. Counting the cost. And the cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is valuing Him supremely. That is over everything and anything and every and anyone. Jesus, of course, gives two beautiful illustrations in the New Testament. He calls it uh, the treasure hidden in the field and the pearl of great price. Remember, Jesus told these stories back to back. Oh, one was of a, a man, farmer yet again, who was plowing a field that did not belong to him. He was either leasing it or he was a hired hand. And 
the plow pulled up something, and as he examined it, dusted it off, it happened to be a great treasure. And so he hid it again in the hole, went and sold all he had, and purchased the field so that everything in it was legally his. And he enjoyed that treasure forever. Then the Lord told another story of a merchant who traveled all over the world trading his wares. And one day he comes across a pearl that was so exquisite and perfect that he was willing to part with everything he had for the great joy of owning it. Well, that pearl of great price and that treasure hidden in the field is the gospel. That when we hear it, the fact that Jesus died for sinners and He's willing to receive us unto Himself is what we have to be willing to part with everything else with to attain it. Now, this is not works-based salvation. This is valuing Christ supremely. Being willing to part with anything and everything and anyone and everything that would hinder us in following Christ wherever He would lead. And dear ones, I fear that in our mass evangelistic efforts we failed to take this into consideration too many times. We have failed, it seems, to tell people to count the cost, to come to Christ on His terms and, and not theirs. No, make no mistake, when we invite people to follow Christ, we are inviting them to value Him supremely, to make a lifetime commitment to follow Him no matter where he leads. Now, with that said, you have to remember that uh, those words of the Lord's were tempered with some exceeding great and precious promises. Look at Mark chapter 10, please. Gospel of Mark chapter 10, verses 29 and 30. Mark chapter 10, verses 29 and 30. Here's some of those exceeding great and precious promises. Now here's the context. Peter, the spokesman for the disciples, said, Behold, we've left everything to follow you. <laughs> Peter liked to remind Jesus that they gave up their fishing business to become fishers of men. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or farms, for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in this present age, houses, and brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Now, unfortunately, the prosperity gospel preachers have taken this verse and framed it, put it on their walls, and told us that this is a receipt that we could hold up in the face of Almighty God and say, you owe me. You have promised that if I'll follow you, you're going to multiply my earthly investments a hundredfold. And it seems to be what it's saying. But if you examine it a little more closely, you'll understand what he means. He's talking about and to his disciples who he said to come away from your families, to leave your businesses and come and follow me. And Peter says, we've done that. He says, you're right, you have done that. And here's going to be the result. You're going to have as hundred times as many family members, farms, and possessions in this life. Now what in the world does he mean? It's obvious what he means. It means that when you become a Christian, you become a member of the household of faith. Now take a moment and look around this room. 
All the people in this room who are truly born again Christians are your brothers and sisters. He has multiplied your family many times over. And everywhere you travel in the world, you're going to find of every stripe, of every race, of every people group, brothers and sisters in Christ. And do you know what we find wherever we go in the world? We find a, a, a godly church. We find people who are willing to open their homes, their farms, and their pocketbooks to treat us with hospitality, right? So you have not only a larger family, you have the possessions that Christians have all over the world. Do you remember what happened after the day of Pentecost? Those 3,000 that were saved and baptized? Acts chapter 4 says, not one of them said what they owned was their own. But as the needs arose, they sold property and provided for the needs of the congregation. That's what a true church does. That's what Jesus means. Remember I told you a few weeks ago that Jesus gives great investment advice? Here he is doing it again. He's saying, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. All of that depreciates in value and ultimately is going to be burned up. Invest in the kingdom of God and it will be multiplied a hundredfold in the here and now. But here's the cherry on top. Look at the last phrase. And in the age to come you'll receive eternal life. Thank the Lord. Greatest investment advice you will ever hear. But here's what you have to know. To get in on that you have to value Christ supremely. You have to be willing to forego the comforts of this world. You have to be willing to forego your love of security found in money. And you have to be willing to forego even relationships that are more important to you than following Christ wherever He would lead. The conclusion today is this. Counting the cost is not a one-time event. It's what we're called to every day. When you get out of the bed in the morning as a believer and you look in the mirror... You have to make the decision, am I willing to go into a place of business where I'm employed, where I'm underappreciated and underpaid for the surpassing joy of representing Jesus there? Am I willing to go to a family reunion where my lost family members treat me as if I have two heads? Am I willing to forego the comforts of this life so that others may know the name of Jesus. That's what it means to take up your cross daily and count the cost and, and follow Him, to deny ourselves. And I believe that fundamentally is what the Lord's Supper is all about. It is a reminder. Jesus says, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of Me. And when we take of the Lord's Supper, we remember primarily three things. First of all, we remember the high cost of our sin, don't we? That without the shedding of blood there can be no forgiveness of sins. We are tempted to think our sin is not that big of a deal. Particularly when we compare it to the sins of others. It is a big deal. Such a big deal that Jesus died, had to die because of it. We remember secondly the great love wherewith He loved us. Jesus says no greater love is any man than He'd lay down His life for His friends. That's what we remember today. And then we remember thirdly the commitments that we have made. First to Christ and then to one another as members of His church. You have made commitments. You have made commitments to hold one another accountable as a member of this church. To support the church financially. To bear one another's burdens. And I saw you do that so well this week. 
but we're to keep on doing every day. Counting the cost, taking up our cross, following him wherever he would lead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. And uh, in these three examples, Lord, we see people we know, maybe even ourselves. We think we uh, want to follow you, Lord, but uh, there are hindrances. For some of us, it's the love of comfort. For others, the love of security and money. And still others, it's people in our lives that we value more than Jesus. And Lord, I, I pray right now that in the heart of every child of God and in every person in this room that you would uh, send your Holy Spirit to search them out, Lord. Show us if there are ways and areas of our life where we value things more than Christ, that we may confess it, repent of it, Lord, and be done with it. And Father, we don't want anything to hinder our walk with you. We don't want anything to break our fellowship with you. Lord, if there's even one here today who has never followed you as Lord and Savior, I pray today would be the day, Father, that they would uh, announce their intention of following you wherever you lead. And Father, help them to understand this is a lifetime commitment. It's a road full of dangers, toils, and snares, but it is a road that leads to heaven. And even in this life, Lord, you've promised the blessing of multiplied family members and multiplied possessions for those who are part of your kingdom. Thank you for that, Father. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.